Hey everybody, welcome to episode 246 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from the warm and muggy city of Austin, Texas. Hope everybody's summer is wrapping up well. My kids started back to school this week. I've got 7th grader, a 5th grader, and a 3rd grader. And it's all about getting back into the school and activity rhythm over the next few weeks as we get back to a more, quote, normal routine again after an amazing summer. I hope all of you had amazing summers as well. I also hope all of you have smooth transitions for those that have children into this new school phase of the year as we head towards fall. I'm going to jump right into my main topic today. I'm going to talk about paces. Talk about training paces. I get a lot of questions about this periodically. I also have heard a lot of misconceptions about how people should determine what paces they use when doing workouts and how that might translate to paces they use on race day. So I want to talk today about nine truths, nine truths about pace as it relates to choosing your training and race paces. Hopefully this will help clear up some misconceptions out there as well as maybe answer some of your questions about how you figure this stuff out for you if you're relatively new to doing workouts where you might have prescriptive paces assigned. So we're going to dive into it. Again, I'll break this down into nine truths about pace, at least as it relates to how I coach in this way. And I think I think you'll learn something and maybe be surprised by some of these. But let's jump right in. Number one, number one. And again, we're talking about training paces here. I'll also relate that to race paces later in the episode. But we're talking about training paces. How do you determine those paces by which you do workouts? If your coach says, do this workout at 5K pace or 10K pace or marathon pace, how do you determine these things? How do you think about training paces in a way that's productive and useful on the way to your goal? So here we go. Number one, truths about training paces. The first one I have for you is that, remember, pace is a proxy for effort. Pace is a proxy for effort, but effort is still king. Effort is still king. This is the number one point for a reason because it can't be underscored enough. You might be given paces by your coach, but typically those paces are designed to put you into an effort zone in order to get a certain physiological benefit from that workout. Certainly, sometimes we do race-specific pace work, but for the most part, We are giving you prescribed paces and workouts in order to put you in the right effort zone using pace as a proxy for that so that you can get the physiological benefits from your workout. But pace is still secondary to effort. If you're questioning me on this, I would encourage you to go back to listen to episode 201 where I talk about training by effort And I talk about all the different physiological zones we could be in to develop our aerobic systems in certain ways. But we're giving you paces in workouts in order to approximate in order to approximate certain efforts. And sometimes those paces may be inaccurate depending on the conditions of the day. 
talk a little bit about adjusting for things like weather. But obviously when you're training in the summer, your paces might be slower, but your effort could still be right. In which case you're getting the physiological benefit you need to ultimately get your goals on race day. In other cases, you might be trying to hold on to certain paces or push to certain paces in spite of the weather. And that could cause you to end up in the wrong effort zone in order to get the desired outcome from your workout. So while pace is used as a proxy, effort is still king. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about training paces. Ultimately, this is just a way, a pathway, a metric to use in order to help you get to the right place. But how you feel and the effort you maintain is still the most important piece of the pie, part of the equation. And so you can't just turn your brain off and turn your garment on. You have to use your brain, feel it out. And yes, use the pace on your watch as a guide, as a benchmark, as a reference point, but it is not the end all and be all. How you feel is still the most important. So please, please keep that in mind when we're talking about this discussion. Additionally, remember that there can be other proxies for effort. Heart rate is another one. It's probably if you know your appropriate heart rate zones by doing a VO2 max or heart rate based test. If you know that information, heart rate is probably a better approximation for effort than is pace, but most people haven't had the opportunity to do a proper heart rate test to figure out their heart rate zones in order to really dial in the correlations between heart rate and effort. And yes, there are some rules of thumb that we can use, but if we're really being specific, you really have to get tested and figure out what those zones are. And then you can map that certainly over to an effort-based chart, perhaps even correlating that with pace. But still, even heart rate is an approximation of effort, and your body knows best how you feel is most important. So, yes, this question of training paces is one that it's important to think about, it's important to understand. But keep in mind, as we talk about the rest of these truths, that effort is still king. You can't lose sight of that. Your brain and how you feel is still the ultimate measure of how a workout is going and not anything your Garmin might be telling you or or your other smartwatch. So that's number one. Pace is a proxy for effort, but effort is still king. Number two, pace is not a definitive measure of success in workouts. Pace is not a definitive measure of success in workouts. I referenced this just a minute ago, this idea that you could potentially be hitting your so-called target paces in a workout and actually be in the wrong effort zone if the conditions are right. And oftentimes we think about this most easily by thinking about altitude, but if you were at 8,000 feet doing a workout versus doing that workout at sea level, if you were running the same paces in both workouts, one at sea level, one at 8,000 feet, then clearly your efforts are going to be very different in those situations. 
we don't often give ourselves the same latitude with heat and humidity as we do with altitude. So you could be running the same paces on one day at 50 degrees and you could be running the same pace on another day at 75 degrees and your efforts are clearly going to be very different. And yet somehow we seem to think in our brains and in our egos that, that those paces still correlate. And they don't. So just because you're hitting paces, just because you have intervals at the defined paces, doesn't mean that you can claim success if the effort is wrong. Now, again, I'm not saying pace is completely irrelevant because certainly it is an input to whether or not you had success in a workout. But again, going back to number one, what's more important is did you achieve the right effort in that workout? And did the pace happen to correlate as it should? So now I may have bursted a bunch of bubbles with these first two. But again, pace is not a definitive measure of success in workouts. Another point to be made related to this is that you could totally bungle a workout. You could totally get the paces completely wrong and maybe as a result not have the physiological benefit that was intended from that workout. But if you learned something, if you were then equipped with information about how to then follow up in the next workout or maybe how to go out in a race in a different way because of what you learned by screwing up, quote, screwing up a workout, then that can be the gift that keeps on giving that turns that workout from a, quote, failure into a success if you're able to take it, learn from it, apply it later. Think about this often with workouts that are purely effort-based. And I prescribed a progression run for one of my groups this week. I think progression runs are some of the most difficult to execute. And they're often written with the idea that you could somehow execute a perfectly smooth progression. And maybe that's the intention. But it's very, very hard to execute that in practice. So if I were to tell you to start at a pace that is marathon pace plus 30 seconds and then cut by 10 seconds a mile in progression until the end of an eight mile run. It would be very difficult to actually execute that where you were perfectly progressing 10 seconds a mile. And so that workout is commonly prescribed or something like that is commonly prescribed. And yet it's one of the most difficult workouts to execute because it is, does require a really good feeling for how, Pace correlates with effort, correlates with what you're trying to accomplish on the day in a way that you could then execute it smoothly. So oftentimes when you're new to progression runs, you screw it up, you mess up, you go too fast too soon, you start too fast and therefore can't progress. And there's all sorts of ways that these, these things can go wrong. And yet if you, if those things go wrong, you might not get the perfect benefit of the day, but you will then assimilate and accumulate information that will allow you next time to go execute it better. 
so that you have experience. That experience can translate into better workouts, not just maybe progression runs, but other workouts down the road. And so it's possible to turn a failed workout into a success if you learn from it in a way that then applies to many future workouts. And oftentimes that has nothing to do, those lessons have nothing to do with pace whatsoever. So keep in mind, again, pace is not a definitive measure of success in workouts. Just because you hit your paces doesn't mean you nailed the workout if the effort is wrong. Now certainly, those perfect days where everything is lined up and the weather's good, your sleep is perfect, the conditions of the terrain are just right. Sure, maybe on those days you can sit there and look at pace and say, yeah, I hit my target paces, therefore I had success. But those days, in my experience, those perfect days are pretty rare. So oftentimes you have to layer other lenses into these discussions about what success looks like on the given day. So I'm not saying throw pace completely out when you're thinking about, hey, did I did I do that right? I'm just saying you have to consider it in the broader context. What was the purpose of the workout? What were you trying to achieve? Were you able to achieve it based on however you ran, pace-wise, effort-wise, and what lessons can you take forward? There are so many other variables to consider rather than just pinning workout success based on that singular fact of did I hit my paces or not. So there you go. My second truth, pace is not a definitive measure of success in workouts. Number three, training paces should be determined by more than just one data point. Training paces should be determined by more than just one data point. We do time trials in rogue programming where typically somewhere two to four to six weeks, maybe max into a program, we will do a time trial. Sometimes it's two miles, sometimes it's three miles. I've even done a one mile time trial in the summer months. But we do these time trials as a measure of fitness. And the common practice for many is to take that time trial data point and if it was two miles go plug it into a pacing calculator like the McMillan calculator and it will spit out an output that says you can run certain times for every distance of race from one mile up to a marathon and everything in between and that is one way to get information about what your training paces might be based on that time trial people tend to put a lot of stress and emphasis into these time trials because they do seem like such big daunting tasks that can mean a lot. But one of the things I preach constantly about any time trial is that it is just one data point. It is telling us one bit of information that must be combined with every other piece of information you might have in order to triangulate around training paces that make sense for you. So yes, if you do a time trial, plug it into the McMillan calculator, see what it tells you. But also, if you have recent race results, plug those into a calculator, see what it tells you. 
when it spits out those paces, look at them, consider them. How do they correlate with recent workouts that you've had? Does it make sense for you to be able to run an interval at marathon pace at the numbers that you're seeing based on those calculator outputs? I also think that your goals are a relevant data point to consider. What are you trying to accomplish in this season and how does that information feed into this discussion about training pace? So you're really looking at all of those variables, any time trials you've done, any race results of any distance that you've done, what your goals are, and then your actual workouts themselves and how the paces that you're seeing might feel and might correlate to effort like we just mentioned. All of those things go into the calculus, the algorithm, which I believe to be a relatively subjective one. All of those things go into the calculus of figuring out what your training paces should be. And when I say training paces, what I mean when someone tells you to run 5K pace, what pace are you running? When someone tells you to run 10K pace or half marathon pace, what are those paces? But it's those variables that go into the calculation. And from there, you have to ultimately choose, make a decision based on the triangulation of the data in order to come up with training paces. And there is no perfect algorithm. When I do this for my pace groups here in Austin or when I talk about paces with the athletes that I coach virtually, I am assimilating all this information into those discussions. And oftentimes they're helping me do that with a two, making it a two-way street so that we can ultimately agree and stack hands on a set of training paces that will correlate to the work that's being done in the given season. And then, by the way, it's not necessarily something that you write in stone. It's something that you go and try out, try on for size and iterate on based on how they actually feel in practice. So get rid of this idea that just because you did one race at X or one time trial at this time, then that means that all of your training bases should be perfectly correlated to that. It's just not the way it works in practice. Instead, look at all the variables and then make a decision employing some of your own instincts and gut feel about what makes sense for you and draw a line in the sand. Come up with those paces as a starting point, put them to practice, and iterate on them based on how they feel. So truth number three, developing training paces is about more than using a single data point. It is about using a whole subset of data points in order to triangulate on those target paces for your workouts. So that was number three. Let's talk about number four. This one I think will be controversial, but if you go back and listen to my episode 75, where we talked with Greg McMillan himself about his pace calculator, I think he would agree, and he said as much in that episode. But you have to train where you are, not where you're going. You have to train where you are, not where you're going. This is going to be a hard one for people to wrap their head around. 
But McMillan himself talks in that episode about how his calculator was actually specifically developed in order to have you train at the level you're at so that you can get, based on that work, to the next level. Getting to the next level in his calculator is not actually about training at the next level. It's about training at your current level. And so many people screw this up by getting ahead of themselves, by forcing it. And that then causes them to be outside the effort zones that will help them develop their aerobic system in the right way. So you have to train where you are, not where you're going. Now, when I talk about this point, people may say, well, the calculator I did based on my last 5K spit out a marathon time that I've never run and I'm not sure if I can do that. So with that question, it's important to make the distinction that just because you're training at a certain marathon pace or a certain half marathon pace, that doesn't necessarily mean that you run that time. It just means that that's the appropriate training pace for you in that effort zone in order to get the desired outcome in training, in order to, to get the desired aerobic benefit. So just because you haven't run that pace for the full distance doesn't mean that that's not where you are from a training pace perspective. So what I'm specifically saying here is I don't want you stretching. You may be shooting for a four-hour marathon someday, and maybe you've never run that. But it's also entirely possible that based on the other things you've run, and based on the outputs from that information, the calculator would say that you should be training at a 9.09, which is four-hour marathon pace. That's entirely possible, that that is within your wheelhouse as a training pace. But you probably shouldn't be training faster than that. So this point isn't about saying, don't train at paces you've never run. This is about saying train at paces that make sense for you based on your current fitness that could at some point correlate to a time that you could run. I just don't want you to stretch yourself. And let's say you're going for four-hour marathon, but you've never run anything else, time trial, other race, or done workouts at paces that would indicate you can run a 909 comfortably for marathon pace repeats. So that would mean that even though your goal is four hours, you're not maybe there from a fitness perspective. So training at that pace could be a stretch for you and might put you outside the right effort zone. That would be a situation where it would be a mistake to train at that four hour pace if you weren't prepared for it. So again, Number four here is train where you are, not where you're going. Now, again, your goal may be within your training paces. But I'm not talking about your goals. I'm talking about your current fitness, your current ability to sustain these paces. I just don't want you stretching in order to execute your paces. Because if you stretch in workouts, then that pushes you outside the right effort zone, which then means you're not getting the benefits from the workout, which will ultimately prevent you from getting your goals. So this point number four is more about staying within yourself. 
within these training paces than it is worrying about what your goal should be. So train where you are, not where you're going, number four. Number five, and then range it. And then range it. Your training paces should recognize that a range of paces will actually get you success in a workout versus a specific single point of a pace. When I talk about training paces, this particularly comes up within my virtual group. And I probably haven't done, if I'm being honest, enough emphasis or given enough emphasis to this with my in-person group. We like to do training pace ranges so that it gives you a range of paces at each level that would indicate success. It's a recognition that because we're focused on effort, you don't necessarily have to run a specific number. There is likely a range of numbers that would get you into that effort zone. And so in order to replicate that, I like to give athletes a range of paces at each level, 5K level, 10K level, half marathon level, marathon level, a range of paces that would consider success on the day. And if some days you're feeling good and at the faster end of the range, great. That can be an indicator of success. And if some days you're not feeling so great, but you're at the slow end of the range, it's an indication that, hey, maybe you didn't sleep well, maybe you have stress in your life, maybe something else is going on, but you can still claim success because within that range, you're likely in the effort zone, still in the effort zone in order to get the right aerobic benefit. So what does that look like? That just means that you're ranging things by about 15 to 20 seconds around those target paces. So if you determine that a four-hour target marathon pace, that 909 pace we referenced earlier, is approximately your training pace, when we're talking about marathon pace, then maybe you range it around that. And you say anywhere from a 355 equivalent pace to a 405 equivalent pace is my range of success at the marathon pace level. And as long as I'm operating within that range, which would be nine minutes to approximately 920, then I can claim success operating at that effort zone. Around a half marathon, typically we're looking at the same thing. Again, ranging about 20 seconds around that target pace. Same thing for 10K, same thing for 5K. Use the range in order to wrap your head around the idea that it's more about effort than it is about a pinpoint pace. Now, of course, there's a caveat here of when I get into that really specific race, specific train phase in training, and I need to dial into my target race pace, then perhaps in those situations and those isolated situations, you're going to, to narrow the range in order to give yourself an indicator of what's possible on race day. But outside of that, you can operate within the range and feel comfortable within the range where you can have success while also allowing the body, the weather, all the other variables to cause that pace to flex, the terrain to cause that pace to flex and still indicate that you have success. So 
So recognize here with point number five that it's actually about a range of paces and not about pinpoint specific paces at each level. If you can do that, it gives you a little bit more grace in operating and also opens that aperture under which you can claim success. That's number five. Range it. Number six, corollary to this, is that you have to adjust for the conditions. You have to adjust training paces for the conditions. I referenced this earlier in relation to altitude. Obviously, if you're operating at altitude, then you have to adjust your paces accordingly in order to correlate them with the right efforts. Same is true with heat and humidity. You have to adjust your paces accordingly. Here in Austin, that can perhaps swing your training paces by 20 to 30 seconds per mile on any given day, depending on how things are. And that's okay. Just because you do that doesn't mean you failed. It just means you've adapted the conditions. You've then better correlated your target paces with the effort that you're trying to achieve so that you can get success on that day. And it's important to do that. Otherwise, you end up in the wrong zone. But I know it's hard on the ego to make those adjustments, but we have to. We absolutely have to. It's also hard this time of year, unfortunately, because we have folks in our groups that are training for fall races that might be happening in late September or October. And they're doing long runs with pace work in them right now. We have one coming up this weekend and they're going to have to be flexible. They're going to have to adjust their paces instead of running the exact targets based on their goals for the fall. They're going to have to adjust plus 20 plus 30 in some cases in order to correlate the efforts. And that's just reality. And then you have to take that and have faith that you'll be able to then drop those 20 or 30 seconds in cooler conditions. And that's a hard leap to make, but it's an important leap to make in order to optimize your training outcomes. So you have to adjust for weather, whatever that looks like, and you should not let it affect your ego. Yesterday I did a workout. It was a tempo-based workout with short recovery, one mile repeats with really short rest, a tempo effort on a hilly course. And my paces started out actually about 40 seconds slower than what would be my target on a good day and finished or on a cool day and I finished about 20 seconds slower than my efforts on a cool day because it was a hot and humid and still morning in Austin. And when I reflect back on that workout, I think I nailed it just right. I nailed the adjustment just right, but it wasn't easy. It isn't easy on the ego to do that because I know we're all used to wanting to see a certain time on our watch, but we have to make those adjustments. And so anytime you're thinking about training paces, you might have your baseline and then adjust from there based on the conditions, whether that be altitude, heat, humidity, whatever it may be, it's important to make those adjustments in order to calibrate with the right effort levels. So that's number six. You have to adjust your paces for the conditions. Okay, number seven. 
Training paces are not necessarily tied directly to race paces. Training paces are not necessarily tied directly to race paces. This is another one that I think people are going to struggle with wrapping their heads around. But I try to emphasize this in my groups. You have training paces. Those are designed to get you into the right effort zones in order to get the right physiological benefit from a workout. They inform, certainly, your race paces, but they may or may not be the same across the board. The marathon pace you do in training may not be the marathon pace you shoot for on race day. The half marathon pace you do in training may not be the half marathon pace you shoot for on race day. I've had instances where we go both ways, where sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower. And certainly race paces are informed by training outcomes, but they're not necessarily directly correlated. You have to separate those two things and then make a separate decision. This is what I've been training at. This is how it's felt. This is how it's gone in those workouts. This is the information I've collected for my training. And then let that inform the race pace, target race pace discussion based on what your goals might be, again, how that training has gone, what the weather conditions might be on the given day, what the terrain of the course might allow. And then, of course, you're developing a plan based on all of those inputs to come up with a race pace for the day. You may also choose to be conservative or aggressive on a given day, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And so that may call for you to slow down in your your race versus your training paces, or it might might encourage you to go faster versus your training paces on race day if you're trying to be particularly aggressive for a certain specific reason to get a certain lesson. So, yes, the two things are connected, but they are not directly related. They are not one for one. Just because you train at this pace doesn't mean you have to race at this pace. And it's important, I think, to acknowledge that distinction and then make sure that each one is informed separately by the right inputs. On the training pace side, of course, that's informed by prior races, by time trials, by prior training results that feeds into your training pace calculus. And then over on the race side, you're going to race pace side. You're going to inform that with your training outcomes, your training paces, weather conditions, course, terrain, goals for the day, what you're trying to accomplish from a lesson perspective and of course the terrain of course itself so race paces has its own race pace decision has its own separate inputs all of those things come together to give you a target pace on the day which may or may not correlate exactly to the training paces that you've been working on and that's okay there may be instances certainly where it is one for one but that's not always the case. And so acknowledge it. And then of course, make separate and distinct decisions on each. So that's number seven. Training paces are not directly, necessarily directly tied to race paces. Number eight, 
training paces can and should evolve within and across cycles. Training paces can and should evolve within and across cycles. Just because you start using a set of training paces doesn't mean that you're tied to that for an entire cycle. Doesn't mean that you're tied to it for the next cycle. Doesn't mean that you don't make adjustments plus or minus depending on the lessons that you learn as you go. Doesn't mean that on a given day because the conditions have changed, you don't make adjustments based on those conditions. Training paces can and should evolve within certainly across cycles and those evolutions should be informed by all of the data points that you collect along the way. You may find that you start operating at certain training paces and they're too hard. You're stretching too much in workouts. You might find you start operating at training bases and they're too easy. They're not pushing you enough based on what you know your effort should be. You might find that you get fitter along the way and therefore need to notch down as you go. You might find that an injury happens, which takes you out for a little bit, which means that you got to come back at a slower subset of training paces in order to evolve back into the training without overdoing it. So this is a living and breathing set of information that you're going to constantly look at and use. doesn't mean it's going to change every time. might be static for three months, eight months. It, it could be static for a long time, but you always want to be thinking and asking yourself that question. Is it time? Is it time to adjust? This is also actually where I, I like the idea of using pace ranges because it gives you the ability, if you're always operating at the fast end of the range comfortably, to potentially use that as an indicator that it's time to notch things down one, to, to go down a row in the paces and then see how you feel again. Again, always calibrating back to, is the effort right? Did I overextend or not? Did I get, did I stay within the right zones? And if so, great, leave it the way it is. If not, adjust plus or minus in order to get to that place. And then of course, as you feel a need to evolve throughout, do it. Now, I think this one is hard to do on an island. It's hard to make these decisions sometimes on your own. And so that's where I would encourage engagement, certainly of a coach when making these decisions, but, but at a minimum, perhaps a training partner who knows you well, because you need to be honest with yourself when making these decisions. Am I truly at a place where I'm ready to adjust faster or be honest, look in the mirror and say, am I at a place where I need to just adjust slower because I'm overextending myself? You have to be really honest with your, with yourself. Sometimes it's hard to do that by yourself. And so checking in with a friend, a coach, or someone who knows you well is a good way to test this. But just recognize that these paces will evolve and they should evolve. Sometimes faster, sometimes slower, depending on the circumstances. So that's number eight. Your training paces can and should evolve within and across cycles. The last one, number nine, your training paces will not improve linearly. Your training paces will not improve linearly. I know there's an expectation from a lot of athletes 
that if they work at this pace, then next time they'll go to the next group of paces and then it'll be this perfect evolution down towards their ultimate potential. That is not how this works. Certainly over time, you will likely see a trend line, a trajectory that is in a positive, that is in a positive direction, but there's going to be some times when you have to take steps backwards in order to ultimately take, take steps forwards. That can happen for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it happens because of injury. Sometimes it happens because of a layoff for another reason. Sometimes it happens because the weather conditions may affect you in that way. But it's important to realize that there's going to be an ebb and a flow of these paces. Sometimes you'll take a step forward. Sometimes you'll take a step back. But it's important to realize that even in those steps, quote unquote, backwards, you're still taking figurative steps forward because if you're being consistent, if you're doing the work, no matter what those paces represent or indicate, as long as they're within your fitness wheelhouse, then that is building a foundation of training that is only going to help you build towards your potential long-term. Any work you do at the right effort level, regardless of where that falls on the pace spectrum, is positive work forward. It is building a foundation for the future. All of that work informs and also contributes to future fitness down the road. So it's important, no matter where you are, to always be within yourself, within the realm of your current fitness from a training pace perspective, so that you get the effort right, so that again, it helps build towards the long term. Otherwise, if you're stretching, constantly stretching, then it'll be easy to get outside the right aerobic zones, but also potentially to put you in a dangerous place neuromuscularly that can cause injury. So stay within yourself. Sometimes that means taking steps backwards because of injury, recognizing that those will be steps forward later if you're staying in the right zones. So this is an absolutely critical final truth. Training paces will not necessarily progress linearly. There will be steps forward at times. There will be steps backwards at times. All of it will build towards your ultimate potential, but you need to stay within yourself at each point along the way and don't get discouraged. And in fact, be encouraged when you make the right decision to take a step back, potentially work at slower paces for a period of time in order to reestablish fitness. And in fact, I've seen it happen many times where people jump back in, maybe they're coming back from injury, maybe coming back from break, maybe coming back from peak race and starting to rebuild, and they try to just jump right back into those old paces. That is a recipe for training in the wrong zones. It's also a recipe for injury. Don't do it. Recognize where you are, make the adjustments, and understand that that is an investment in your potential if you are smart about these training paces at each stage. doesn't mean it has to be perfect, but it does mean that you have to adapt and learn as you go. So if you find yourself in over your head, adjust. Always adjust. So that's my last point. These training paces will not necessarily improve linearly, and that's okay. That's building towards the bigger potential down the road. So that was number nine. We will wrap it there, but I wanted to give one final overarching point 
as I reflect on these nine truths about pace. You may have listened to this and at some points you may have nodded your head and say, yep, that makes sense. I get it. At some points you may have thought, ah, he's got it wrong there. I disagree. That's okay. Two, some of you may have listened and said, oh, this all makes sense. It's really helping me assimilate and make decisions about what I need to do in my training. Others of you, after listening to these nine things, may be confused and may think, oh, now, now I don't know what I'm doing. And that may cause a little bit of analysis paralysis in you when making decisions about your current training paces. And I want to just emphasize here at the end to not let overanalyzation, not let analysis get in the way of just getting out there and doing work. Assimilate these truths as best you can based on what you know. Layer in your data points from races, from training, from time trials, from workouts. Go with your gut and instincts about what feels right. Draw a line in the sand about the paces you should be training at or think you should be training at. And then go put those paces to the test. And be honest with yourself about how it goes. And then adjust. All of these should be written in pencil. They are meant to to be adjusted and to evolve over time. So don't think you have to do all this thinking and analysis and listen to this episode three times in order to come up with the perfect set of training paces that will be with you for this training cycle. Don't think that way. Instead, assimilate this information, the data points that you have, go with your gut, draw a line in the sand, put something down, work at those paces, and then let them evolve based on what you learn along the way. It sounds simple, and it is, but I know it's also not easy as someone who's been advising people on this for now 15 years or so. So that's my final point to this. Don't get stuck in the analysis. Make a decision. Go train at those paces, and then adjust and evolve as you go. So there we go. We will wrap this episode here with those nine truths about training paces. Thanks as always for listening. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.